We've seen the Lord. Thomas says, verse 25, Unless I see the nail marks in his hand and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. You see what he's saying? He's refusing to believe just because somebody else said so. Welcome to Open the Bible with Pastor Colin Smith. I'm David Pick. And Colin, so often Thomas gets this bad rap. We call him Doubting Thomas, but it sounds like you're saying it's not necessarily a bad thing that he asks for this proof. That's exactly what I'm saying, that uh, for him to say, I'm not going to believe just on the basis that other people say so. I need to know this for myself. And, and where is the evidence? I want to be able to put my uh, finger where the nail prints were. And Jesus commends this because he then comes and says, well, go ahead and do it. Here's the thing. Truth never fears investigation. And the word of God is truth. Jesus says, I am the truth. And so for any person who has faith with with questions. We want to say, come and ask the questions of the Bible. Look at what the Word of God has to say. There is a foundation of faith for you here. And you don't want to be following just because other people do. You want to be following because you're convinced that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. So let's dive in. Open our Bibles, if you're able to, to John chapter 20, as we continue the message, Defective Foundations. Let me outline for you six examples of a shaky or a deficient foundation. The first of these is very simply the church. Now, some of us have been brought up with the teaching that whatever the church teaches, that we should believe. And that the reason for believing is simply that it is the teaching of the church. Now, in that kind of authoritarian structure, of course, there is very little room for honest questions. And the result for some people can be that they sign off on a party line, but then find it very difficult to make their faith personal. They're left saying, well, I believe it because the church teaches it. I'm not sure it makes a whole lot of sense to me, but who am I to question the church? Secondly, a faith that rests upon a pastor. That is also a deficient foundation, the influence of a trusted leader. And we may thank God for the influence of many leaders within our lives. And it may be that there was a pastor or a leader who had great influence in the shaping and the forming of your faith. You looked up to this person, admired them. You even wanted to be like them. They were a role model for you. But now suppose some tragic scandal occurs that destroys the testimony of that pastor. Where then does that leave your faith? Thirdly, family. Another form of shaky foundation is when your faith simply rests on adopting what your family believes. Perhaps your parents were strong Christians. They drummed Christian teaching into you. You accepted what they said. You honored and you respected them. But then at some point, perhaps in early adulthood, it occurs to you that you have never really thought about this deeply for yourself. You've always believed, but you're not really very sure why. Another example that's similar is in the area of friends. You became part of a group, and that's a good thing. And the group believed. And you identified both with the group and also with the group's beliefs. Then, one day, you go off to a secular university. And you find that you're in an entirely different group. And none of them believe. 
You begin to wonder then if your faith was anything more than a kind of social convention, a conforming to your previous group of friends. Here's the fifth deficient foundation, feelings. Now, our culture places a tremendous emphasis on feelings. Have you noticed that most marketing, if you watch the adverts, are addressed to feelings, not thinking? Whether it be a new drink, or a new soap, or a new car, or a new insurance policy, the pitch is normally about how this will make you feel. So the pressure is on the church to make its pitch at that level also. I wish I had a dollar for every time I'd heard a Christian say, I know it's true because I feel it. If your faith rests on your feelings, you will have a deficient foundation and eventually the cracks will begin to show. That leads me to one more thing that for others is also significant, and that's this whole area of spiritual experiences. Now, spiritual experiences, religious experiences, are very powerful because they are deeply personal. God can speak to us through experiences just as he speaks to us through churches, pastors, families, friends, and feelings. But if you build your faith on the foundation of experience, the cracks will soon begin to show. Now, this is raising an obvious question. If the foundation of faith Faith cannot rest on church or pastor or family or friends or feeling or experiences. On what should it then rest? Where is the foundation on which I can build with confidence? Where is the foundation that will not give so that the cracks will not appear? Now, to answer that question, I want to draw your attention to the story of Thomas and invite you to open your Bibles at John in chapter 20 and verse 24. Will you try and put yourself in Thomas's shoes? He's just come through the most painful trauma in his life. He's seen Jesus arrested and tortured and condemned and crucified. He's committed himself to Jesus, but now Jesus has been taken from him. He's seen the wounds of Jesus And I guess from the way that he talks about the wounds of Jesus that that must have played on his mind at night. I guess that the night of Good Friday and the Saturday, Thomas must have rolled and rolled in his bed, unable to get off to sleep, thinking about those wounds, that spear thrust into his side. I would have thought like that, wouldn't you? Perhaps Thomas, when he got up on the Sunday morning, didn't feel he could handle being with a group of disciples. Perhaps he just decided to take a walk and be alone with his thoughts. Whatever the reason, we don't know. Thomas was not with the group when Jesus appeared to them on the first day of the week. We know that from verse 25. We're simply told that after Jesus had appeared on the evening of the first day of the week, the other disciples came to Thomas and they said, verse 25, we have seen the Lord. I don't know if you have ever been in a situation where you felt alone and absolutely miserable. And then you've been confronted by a group of highly excited people. But it's clear that Thomas found this very, very difficult to take. We've seen the Lord! 
Thomas says, verse 25, unless I see the nail marks in his hand and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. See, Thomas understood that the heart cannot embrace what the mind will not believe. And Thomas, at his core, was determined that his faith should rest on solid evidence. And that is why I say that he is far from being a weak disciple. He is actually a model of faith for you and for me. Now, as we follow the story in verse 26, we find out that one week later, the disciples were in the house again. And this time, Thomas was with them. By the way, it's a good thing that although he felt alienated, he stayed with the group of believers. And it's there that Jesus appeared to them again. But though he appeared to them all, he particularly spoke to Thomas. Look at verse 27. Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas knows that this is no figment of a frustrated imagination. Jesus Christ is doing precisely what he asked for and presenting the evidence to him directly. And as soon as he's confronted with the evidence, without hesitation, Thomas says, verse 28, my Lord and my God, he saw and he believed. You're listening to Open the Bible with Pastor Colin Smith and a message called Defective Foundations. We'll pause here, but get back to the message in just a moment. However you listen, online, on the radio, or the app, it's only possible because of your generosity. So thank you again for giving and supporting this ministry. We'd love to send you a copy of Pastor Colin Smith's book, Six Hours That Changed the World. As a thank you, for your financial support in setting up a donation of at least £5 per month. Find out more or give online at openthebible.org.uk. Now let's get back to the message with Pastor Colin. And as soon as he's confronted with the evidence, without hesitation, Thomas says, verse 28, My Lord and my God, he saw and he believed. Now, here's the question you have to think about in this passage. Was he wrong when he said that he had to see for himself? Was that wrong? Now, I want you to look through chapter 20 in order to answer that question. It's very important to understand Thomas correctly. I want you to see that this theme of seeing runs right through the whole of chapter 20, and indeed, it runs right throughout the whole of the Gospel of John. Look, for example, at verse 8. I want you to catch this emphasis on seeing. Verse 8, John's been describing how Peter and another disciple arrived at the tomb on the first day of the week. Peter arrived, he went straight in, and uh, John then followed him. And John writes, the other disciple, verse 8, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. Here's the line. He saw and believed. He saw these Grave clothes. He saw the empty tomb. He saw and he believed. Now follow it through. Verse 18. Mary Magdalene now is standing outside the tomb. She's deeply distressed. Someone approaches her, asks her who she's looking for. She thinks it's the gardener until this person says her name. Mary. 
And immediately she recognizes the voice of Jesus. She turns around and she sees the Lord. And she goes then and tells the disciples, and in verse 18, what does she say? I have seen the Lord. I have seen the Lord. Look at verse 19. The evening of the same day, the disciples were together. Jesus came and stood among them. Peace be to you. He showed them his hands and his sides. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Now they come, verse 24, to Thomas, and they say, we have seen the Lord. No doubt they told Thomas what he had done when he appeared to them. He showed them his hands and his side. And perhaps it's for that reason that Thomas said, well, unless I see his hands, unless I see his side, and even put my fist into it, I will not believe. I need the same evidence as you saw. Now, he asked for the evidence, and the fascinating thing to me is that that is precisely what Jesus gave to him. Now, can you grasp this emphasis on seeing? I'm trying to avoid saying, can you see the emphasis on seeing? It's all about seeing, the whole chapter. And in fact, if you go back to the very beginning of the gospel in John chapter 1 and verse 14, you'll find this is what the whole gospel is about. John says, the word became flesh, dwelled among us, and we have seen his glory. We saw. You look at the first letter of John, it's the same thing. What we've tasted and handled, touched and heard, what we've seen, this is what we declare to you. Now, I want to suggest that as this pattern of seeing Jesus is revealed to the apostles that Thomas was absolutely right to insist that if he was to join in their apostolic ministry, he also had to see for himself. And if you turn just one page over in your Bible, and this is the last cross-reference, just one page over to Acts in chapter 1, you find there that the disciples are trying to decide what they should do about filling the spot vacated by Judas. And they say, as they consider who should take his place, verse 21 of Acts 1, it's necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us from the beginning, John's baptism up to the time when Jesus was taken from us. That's the ascension he's referring to. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. And the word witness is used of somebody who has seen something directly, not someone who can report something secondhand. To be an apostle, you had to have seen the Lord, which is why there was this unique revelation of the risen Christ given to the apostle Paul. Otherwise, he could not have been an apostle. Now, once you grasp that question on seeing in the gospel, it's very important. It leads to this obvious question. Well, since we weren't there and we didn't see, how then can we believe? How can I know that it is true if I cannot find a firm foundation for faith in churches, pastors, family, friends, feelings, or experience? On what foundation can we build with confidence? Now, if you haven't looked at any other verse 
Look in your Bible, and it's on the screen because I want you to get this one, verse 31. Because this is the punchline of the whole story of Thomas. This is what it's leading to. This is the conclusion of this whole episode. Because obviously when Jesus says, you've seen and you've believed, blessed are those who've not seen and yet have believed, it raises the question, how are those who have not seen to believe? John gives you the answer to that question. Verse 31. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. John saying, I was there. I saw. A whole group of us saw. You were not there. You did not see. You are not a material witness to these events. I was, John says. And therefore, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. You see, Jesus deals with you in precisely the same way as he dealt with Thomas. He places the evidence before you. How does he place the evidence before you? In the Gospels, which gives us the written record of the material witnesses. This is precisely how any adjudication or jury trial is carried out in a court of law. To say that you cannot come to faith on the basis of the scriptures is rather like saying, oh, I could not possibly come to a judgment in a jury in a court of law because I didn't actually see the accident. How do you come to an adjudication of truth? You listen to and evaluate the material witnesses. These are written. These are presented to you. The gospels in their very nature are evidence for you to pour over and to consider, for you to find the basis of faith, a basis that will not subside and that will not move. I find this very wonderful. You see, the the apostles were not authoritarian 19th century type preachers, you know, who kind of thump and thunder and say, believe, believe. What they did was they said, come and see. Come and look at this evidence. Listen to what he said, writing down what we heard him say. Watch what he did. Evaluate his claims. What do you think of Jesus Christ? Question Jesus asked himself, whose son do you say that he is? And John writes, of course, As a material witness, he knows what he saw. He's absolutely persuaded of his case. But he sets it out in a rational way. He's not trying to intimidate you. He's not trying to jerk a few tears from you. He's presenting the evidence of what he has seen and heard as a direct witness over three years with Jesus. Come and see. God does not call you to a blind faith. 
He has given to you a mind as well as a heart and a will, and he invites you to investigate the claims of Jesus and gives you the evidence that you can investigate. So that Christian faith does not rest on the dogmatic assertions of the church, not on the mystical experience of an individual, but on the evidence of God's word given to us in the scripture so that you may come to believe. You may do it. And so very briefly in these last moments, let's come to prescription. Doubt that arises from deficient foundations is best helped by the discipline of serious study. Now, I want to encourage you to approach the evidence that God has given to you as if you were the jury, as if you were a detective, as if you were an investigator. I want to encourage you to sleuth the Scripture. Sleuth the Scripture. Because rather like an Agatha Christie, if I may use that analogy, or any other good detective story, there is all the evidence that you need here. I don't say that there's everything you'd like to know here, but all the evidence that you need to know that Jesus Christ, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, is given to you in the Scripture. It may not be immediately obvious, but all the pieces are there. God will never allow you to reason your way to faith, for faith must involve an opening of the heart and the commitment of a will, but God has given you a reasonable basis for faith. So begin with the Gospels. Ask God to open the eyes of your understanding. Let me assure you of this, that though they may not be immediately obvious, God has given to you all the evidence that you need to conclude a verdict that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's where God wants to bring us. For a Christian is a person whose mind is convinced, whose heart is aflame, and whose will is committed. Well, this is Pastor Colin, and I want to take this moment to speak directly and personally to you, the person who struggles with the fact that your faith isn't what you'd want it to be. And you're always looking at your faith and you're saying, oh, if only I was a stronger Christian, if only I was a better believer, if only I had more faith like other people around me seem to have more faith. And I want you to hear this message from the scriptures as to you personally. Your salvation does not rest on the strength of your faith, but on the strength of your Savior. And aren't you glad about that right now? Don't you see the joy and the freedom of saying it's the strength of Jesus that saves me, not the strength of my faith? That's assurance. That's where you find peace. That's where you find joy. And I want you to get that clear today and to hold on to it. And every time the devil tries to condemn you by telling you how weak your faith is, you tell him how strong your Savior is and that you've put your trust not in your own faith, but in your Savior, Jesus Christ. Colin, thank you. It's been a really helpful message today. Maybe you'd like to go back and hear it again. Go to openthebible.org.uk or you can hear the entire series, Faith with Questions, either streamed from the website or download free MP3 files. 
openthebible.org.uk. For Pastor Colin Smith and Open the Bible, I'm David Pick, and I hope you'll join us again next time. Thanks for listening. Open the Bible is a listener-supported program. If you don't cultivate your capacity for commitment in the small things, you won't have the capacity for commitment in the big things. Next time on Open the Bible.